This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. A while back, a man named Troy Haup got a call from a friend who had a memory about something from their childhood. My friend called me and he was kind of all excited and he said, you know, do you remember when we were kids and we were up in the attic and we came across a blanket wrapped around these metal cases and we unwrapped it and opened it up and it was labeled Super Bowl One. I really didn't remember much about it. I was like, uh, you know, yeah, I guess if you say so, yeah, I, okay. And uh, he said, well, you know, you need to find out if those tapes are still there. I'm like, why are you so excited about it? He's like, because I just read an article from Sports Illustrated and it says that they're valued over a million dollars. And, you know, it's like, you really should see if you have that because you may be the only one in the world that has a copy of it. Troy was sitting on a recording of a game that virtually no one had seen because no one had a copy. No one. Except Troy. Today on the show, how one guy found the holy grail of sports television and why you're not going to see it anytime soon. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, January 31st. It might seem crazy that some random guy in Pennsylvania was the only one with a copy of the first Super Bowl. But his wasn't always the only copy. Super Bowl I was aired originally on two networks, CBS and NBC, and both of them taped over their copies. This is Jared Diamond. He's one of our sports reporters. Both networks independently reused that film to film other stuff, other shows, soap operas or game shows or news or whatever, they didn't preserve it. So essentially, the reel that was used for the Super Bowl one then became the reel for some other show. Why would they have deleted it? Apparently, this was not unusual in the sort of earlier days of television that things were often not preserved because film was expensive. You had to actually buy it. It's not like now where everything's digital and you have unlimited minutes and hours that you could just record. Back then, everything you recorded was on physical media. So things that didn't seem worth saving for posterity, were just sort of disregarded. That a Super Bowl game wasn't worth archiving for posterity might seem like a weird thing to say. But back in the 60s, the NFL wasn't what it is today. In 1967, there were two separate professional football leagues, the American Football League and the National Football League. Each league played with different types of balls, had different offensive styles, And the leagues never competed directly on the field, but they did in every other aspect, fighting over players, coaches, money, advertisers. The first Super Bowl was where the leagues would do something new. They'd pit the winners of the AFL, the Kansas City Chiefs, against the winners of the NFL, the Green Bay Packers. And they called this game the AFL-NFL Championship Game. It would officially become the Super Bowl a few years later. 
but it didn't resemble what we think of now when we think of the Super Bowl. This game, which was played in Los Angeles, the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, was played in the middle of the day. The halftime show was a college marching band. It was easy to get tickets, and no one really ever thought it was going to become anything resembling what it has since become. No one, it seems, besides Troy's dad. His father had foresight that apparently CBS and NBC did not, which is, you know, this might be something one day. On the day of Super Bowl I in 1967, Troy's dad went to work at a job that gave him access to broadcast recording equipment. He recorded the game and brought the tapes home where they ended up in that Pennsylvania attic. And as those tapes sat in that attic gathering dust, the NFL became what it is today. Eventually, people realized that no one had a copy of the very first Super Bowl, this foundational document of American sports history. And like one television producer Jared talked to, people searched all over for it. Rick Bernstein from HBO, he chased leads all over the place, really all over the world. There was rumors that Hugh Hefner might have had a copy that he recorded at the Playboy Mansion. There was rumors that there was a copy of it somewhere in Cuba for some reason. Bernstein tried to go there, try to find that. None of it panned out. None of this was true. I think the Hugh Hefner rumor is interesting. I kind of wish it were true. That would be a great story. But at least, according to Rick Bernstein, none of these leads went anywhere. And sort of ultimately, he just decided, I guess, it doesn't really exist. Because if Hugh Hefner doesn't have it, clearly nobody has it. He described it as the holy grail of sports artifacts, essentially, at least sports television artifacts. The search seemed futile until that phone call Troy had with his friend. Immediately hung up with him, called my mom, and my mom was just so, like, casual. She's like, yeah, they're still there. They're up in the attic. Why Why are you asking? And then I mentioned the article valued at over a million dollars. And she was like, oh, my God, you're kidding me. There's no other copy out there? I said, no. I said, You know, according to this article, there's nothing in existence of this broadcast. What did she say? She's like, wow, let's get up there and and see what they look like. Troy lives in North Carolina, but a couple of weeks after he called his mom, he drove up to Pennsylvania to take a look at the tapes. I really didn't know the condition that they would be in. It was probably, like, the worst place we could have had them, really. It was over 100 degrees in the summer. It was just vented to the outside, well below zero in the wintertime. And I started doing some research, and I found out that there was another copy that somebody brought forward. And when they went to play it, it just disintegrated. So I was excited, but I kind of thought, you know, maybe they're just not going to play I'm going to open the metal case, and they're just going to fall apart. But when Troy and his mom opened the metal case... The tape looked pretty solid, and it looked like it could play. But we didn't know what we would see, or would we even be able to play it? You know, could we even find a machine that would be able to play it? Troy needed to figure out a way to see what was on that tape and make sure it actually was what his dad labeled it as. So he found an archive in New York that had the equipment to play this 1967 tape and make a digitized copy of it. And then Troy was finally able to watch it. Do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah, it was great. Just to see the quality of it, I was really surprised. You know, there's places where it fades in and out, the colors, 
will skip every now and then. You'll see it, you know, jump a little bit. You see the commercials and the broadcasters and some of the plays are really good for Green Bay that I enjoyed. It was really like you were sitting in front of your television back in, you know, 1967 if you had lived on East Coast watching the CBS broadcast. Sitting there, watching the legendary football coach Vince Lombardi, for whom the Super Bowl trophy is named, and watching Green Bay Packers quarterback Bart Starr lead his team to victory, Troy realized the value of what he had. It just felt like you had the winning lottery ticket. Like, you know, I could be a millionaire. With a million dollars within Troy's grasp, he hired an attorney to represent him. And that attorney tipped Jared off about the video and made arrangements so that Jared and another reporter could see the video, too. And they showed us the game, and it is the TV broadcast. It's the vast majority of it as it aired on television that day in 1967, and it's wild. How was it wild? Honestly, the most wild part about it is just how small it all seemed. The game wasn't sold out. I think there were about 65,000 or so people there, but that stadium is huge and could fit way more than that to see all these empty seats. It's straight up the middle of the afternoon, it looks like, in California. So it has this very small-time feel. It doesn't feel like this big football game. It just feels like it's a football game being played in a park on a nice Sunday afternoon. And the fact that it was so low-key makes it so interesting because you have all this baggage in your mind about what it would become. Do you remember what you guys were saying while you were watching it? We were trying to, like, make sure we took great notes because we were not allowed to, like, record anything. We kind of felt like we were watching something illicit because we knew that this was very coveted and sort of secret. We just wanted to make sure no one stopped us, told us to leave. Why were there all these restrictions around watching it? Because there is a big legal kerfuffle around Super Bowl One, There is a ongoing, for many years, legal battle about who owns the copyright on this tape between Troy Halp and the NFL. That big legal kerfuffle, after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Welcome back. It turned out the tape in Troy's attic was the only known copy of Super Bowl I. And the tape was playable. So if his friend was right, it could be worth a million dollars. And to Troy, it seemed pretty obvious who would want to buy it. Troy does go to the NFL thinking, oh, man, of course, they would totally want to buy this incredible part of NFL history. But the NFL had a different perspective. 
they told Troy that actually they owned the contents of the tape. And if he tried to sell the tape or monetize it in any way, they would sue him. The NFL offered Troy $30,000, an amount, they said, similar to what it would cost them to take him to court. I was really deflated. I just felt like they were really lowballing us. I mean, you know, here's a company that gets, what, a million dollars for every six seconds of commercial time in the Super Bowl, and you're going to lowball us with an offer like that. The NFL says this is our intellectual property. Uh, if you watch the broadcast, like any sporting event on TV, at one point the announcer has the whole spiel about this is the express copyright NFL, we own this, express written consent, all that. And that's the NFL's position. That was on the 1967 They do broadcast. say that, yes. They do say it. Like they do now in any broadcast, sort of asserting their copyright. But not all copyright law experts agree that the NFL owns the copyright to Troy's tape of Super Bowl I. There's an argument that at least one top copyright lawyer says Troy could make in court. This lawyer thinks he's found a loophole. It's complicated, but it comes down to this idea that because the NFL doesn't have a physical copy, it doesn't have federal copyright protection. No copy, no copyright. But to prove that argument, that lawyer would have to win in court. And that's a big undertaking. Troy Hobbs is a guy. He's just a random guy who lives in North Carolina who really can't afford to go to war with the NFL for years, which is what this would be. And that's why it remains under lock and key. Troy doesn't want to incur the wrath of the NFL, but doesn't want to sell for 30000 because he knows it's worth more, so there's a standoff. Right, but the standoff is going to keep Troy's tape locked away forever. Doesn't the NFL want to get access to this piece of history? I can't imagine why the NFL wouldn't have this burning desire to have it. If this were the first television broadcast of a World Series and Major League Baseball somehow didn't have a copy of it and all of a sudden one was found, I think MLB would immediately be saying, we have to have this. But the NFL as a sports league has never really seemed as interested in its own history the way, say, baseball has. It just has never been part of the NFL's DNA the way it is in baseball, which is so rooted in nostalgia. The NFL is much more about what are we doing now? What's the future? Sort of being the big behemoth, the the single biggest TV program in America, right? Like, I think of the top 100 TV broadcasts in 2019. Like, the vast, vast, vast majority were NFL games. NFL games are still the one thing that people watch on television, and the NFL is interested in that, not necessarily about what happened 50 years ago. But NFL fans might care. A group of filmmakers is going to see just how much. They've told Troy they would raise the money to buy the tape from him and take the NFL to court. So they started a Kickstarter, these filmmakers, saying, all right, it's now in the hands of NFL fans. If you want this to be seen and we raise enough money, we are going to buy the tape and we are going to stream it on the Internet for free for anyone to watch sometime before the next Super Bowl, the 2021 Super Bowl. And that is their plan if they could raise enough money to do it. They so far have $9,415. Not quite enough. Not quite enough. The NFL fans maybe don't care so much about the Super Bowl one tape. It's possible. There's. I don't necessarily know why their Kickstarter hasn't taken off. It could be a publicity issue. I think that NFL fans would love to see it. 
I guess the question is, to what length would NFL fans be willing to go to see it? On Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs, the same team that was in that first Super Bowl, will take the field in Super Bowl 54. Unlike the first one, this Super Bowl is sold out. That's all for today, Friday, January 31st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are me, Ryan Knudsen. And me, Kate Leinbaugh. We're produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, and Rob Zipko. Our senior producer is Pia Godkari. Annie Rostrasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music from Marcus Bagala, Peter Leonard, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. See you on Monday.